0: We have been dealing with Romans chapter 12 under the theme belong find your place at the table and today we come to this great climactic word from Romans chapter 12 it is a wonderful word it is consistent with all that's gone before it and all that we have heard and it introduces again this question of evil in the world he has used the term evil already in chapter 12, to uh, talk about our responsibilities in conquering it, but now he gets very explicit here at the end. And just as at the original table of the Lord, there were those who were about to depart, one to betray the Savior and another to deny Him, so every time the church meets around the table we have this within us the church is not perfect the group around the table is not perfect we suffer both from guilt about the things that we've done wrong and also from shame about who we are and sometimes mistakenly about who we are. There's a difference between guilt and shame. And as we read about evil, I want you to keep in mind that we are in the place of grace. Amen? We stand in the place of grace. We live in the place of grace. We breathe the air of grace every day. This is how we make it. This is how we do it. We stand and move and live in grace, knowing that we are not worthy of all that we have received from our Lord, and yet delighted to be His and to find our place at the table. So, verse 17, as we conclude the book of Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a hopeful word, huh? What a wonderful word for those of you who were suspecting that the evil in the world was just going to roll over the whole planet and there was only a dismal and dark future. Evil can be overcome. It doesn't have to overcome. It can be overcome. You can overcome it in your life with good. Knowing good and evil is not always easy it was the first temptation of the original parents of the human race there in the garden the two trees the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of the good and of good and evil and God planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the garden and he said you can eat of every tree but of this one he said if you eat of this tree The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. The first temptation of a human was by Satan who said, hath God really said that? Did God really say you would die? I can't believe he said that. Huh, you eat of this tree. What? You'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. If you eat of this tree and so they ate and we call that the fall it's the fall it's the notion that oh you think this is sin no no this is not sin this will not hurt you my goodness You've never experienced anything. How can you criticize something you've never tried? (laughs) Give this a try. You're going to be like God. This is going to be so good for you. And so we all eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the problem is, once we eat of it, no longer are good and evil as clear as they used to be. Think of the clarity in the garden. There's one tree you can't eat of. It's this one. All right, that's bad. All the rest is good. Now that I've eaten, what is bad and what is good? We discover in our journey that it's not so easy sometimes to tell. Little Graham just turned three. His moral development is just happening. One day he will rate what we have called, for lack of another term, the age of accountability. When he will be old enough to be accountable for his moral failure. Although, when he ruined our 55-inch LED TV in the living room just the other day, I wanted to hold him accountable. (laughs) He took Nina's spray bottle that she irons with and he sprayed enough water on the LED TV that there was a puddle underneath it. I was somewhere else, and Janet faxed the picture to me. Black and white bars all the way across. Yep, it's ruined. It's ruined. I caught him with that bottle a couple days later, and when he noticed me, he fled and hid under the covers. (laughs) He dropped that bottle and ran. And I found that he had squirted it on the computer and on the furniture. No wonder he ran. I am anticipating the day when he develops morally a little bit more. And we're all in this process of developing morally. And one of the things we discover along the way is that it's not as easy as the good guys wear white hats and the bad guys wear black hats, you know. It's just not quite that easy. We discover along the way when we awaken to our own sinfulness that there is evil right here. And sometimes we discover along the way that our enemy whom we always thought was pure evil, once we get to know him, there's good in him. And so it's not always that easy to tell. The knowledge of the good and evil It escapes us. The fundamental way a person tells good from evil in this world is out of their relationship with God. It is fellowship with God that is required when the moral dilemma faces you. It is not just reasoning. It is not just logic. It is the fellowship with God that sustains you in the moment of decision. And the tragedy of it was that Adam and Eve broke the fellowship with God in the moment of their sin. And so good and evil became much more of a mystery to them. It is in this fellowship that we discover what is good. And what is bad in the world. And staying close to God is the most certain way that you will have in discerning at work and school and in your family what you ought to do, what is best to do, what is good among the choices that you will make. It is walking and talking with the Father in the cool of the day, listening to Him in prayer, reading His Word, and being that kind of person that will inform you in your knowledge of good and evil. You know when the Bible says here, do not be overcome with evil, that it uses a word that is frequently used in Scripture. Overcome evil with good. This is a great truth from the book of Revelation. He who overcomes, it says in the letters to the churches, again and again, he who overcomes, and it uses this word here. Again, it uses this word when when it says of the saints, they overcame. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives, even unto death. They overcame. This is a great and good word. But when we read, be not overcome of evil, there is this aggressive nature to it, isn't it? Good and evil are active in the world. Evil is aggressive in the world. It's not just passive. It's not just sitting there in case you want to go see it. It's after you. God says to Cain, when he's upset because his offering was not accepted, he says to Cain, why is your your face downcast? If you do right, you will be accepted. And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to possess you but you must rule over it. Isn't that a picture? A picture of sin crouching at the door of this man who became the first murderer. And God saying to him, it desires to possess you. And this same desire sin and evil have today in your life. They desire to possess you. Sin crouches at your door, and it desires to possess you, young person. But you must rule over it. Sin is active and aggressive in the world. It pursues us, like the scripture says. Evil is not passive, but active in the world I want you to keep in mind what the Apostle Paul said. I'm trying to do what is right, but I fail to do it. I resist what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I find then this principle that when I am ready to do good, he says, evil is present with me. And you will find this as well. You will find an opportunity to do good, an opportunity to do right, and when you discover it, you'll also discover that evil is present with you. There's the temptation to delay, to take another course, to do this in a different way than what you know is right and true and faithful and honest. And it may be difficult, it may be costly to follow the right road. And so when you decide to go the right way, evil is present with you to tempt you to take an easier route, a broader path, a path of least resistance. When you would do right, evil is present with you. It's hard sometimes to think about what is good or who is good everybody in this room wants to be known as a good person sometimes when we are caught in a fault our first protest is to say I am a good person I am a good person I don't want you to suspect the quality of my moral character I am a good person And sometimes when we get in trouble, we turn to those that we count as dear and wise and counselors, and we say to them, am I a good person? We want that person to affirm, yes, you are a good person. You're not a bad person. The shame of being a bad person runs very deep. In the human heart it is one thing for you to feel guilty of an act that you have done that act is associated with you hurting someone or violating the law and you know that you did it and you feel guilty about it and you know how to fix it you know how to go to God and ask for forgiveness and the guilt often will drive you to the Savior and you know that you can be forgiven there but if your guilt degenerates into a perpetual shame. Not that you have made a mistake, but that you are a mistake, that you are sick on the inside, that you are evil on the inside and fundamentally not good. That shame, that shame there will put you in a very dark place. And you will keep your secrets well. And you will feel the isolation In your soul being alone with the truth you think about yourself that you are an awful person and you don't want anybody to know the real you because if they knew who you really were they would run from you now God invited you to this table okay you who feel so bad about who you are And how you are on the inside this is a place of grace and god's grace is good not just for your guilt but also for your shame part of what it means to be overcome by evil is to stop thinking just about how you have failed and you can receive forgiveness for those acts of failure But you're overcome by evil as you begin to think that you yourself are profoundly evil and beyond the rescue of the gracious God, that you are beyond His love and beyond hope. And overcome by evil now, seeing yourself as this person unworthy of God's love and grace, you will not come to Him now for forgiveness. Do not be overcome by evil Grace from God is greater than all your sin. He intends to remedy not only the guilt of the things you have done, but the shame that you live with about who you are. He intends to remedy that by inviting you to this table and making you one of His own. (laughs) I know! It's incredible! It's unbelievable. It's amazing. God's grace is this great. He wants to call you daughter. He wants to call you son. He wants you at his table in his family preparing a home for you forever in heaven because he wants to be with you so that where he is, you can be also. Hey, he wants to get rid of that sack of shame you drag around through his grace, through his love, through his forgiveness. Not by saying, oh, you're so good. But by saying, every place you have violated my law, I forgive you. His forgiveness is complete. Jesus died on the cross for all the failure of your life. To remedy not only the guilt of that sin, but the shame that comes with it do not be overcome by evil, means that I am ready to receive the forgiveness of God not only for the specific acts where I know I disobeyed, but to receive the grace of God to see myself as his child now and forever, to receive the wonderful gift of being part of the family. See, that's the remedy of God for the shame and the guilt that is upon your life. I want you to see yourself in the light of this grace that you belong at the table. Not because of what you've done or who you are, but because of His amazing love, His wonderful forgiveness that He loves to give. You overcome evil with good. Somebody in this room is struggling with a nasty letter that you received, a malicious email that was sent out about you or maybe to you. You've heard the lie that people are spreading at your office about you, and you're wondering what you're going to do, how you're going to respond, and you sat down to write your response, and you've thought, maybe you've thought because it feels just to you, You've thought about responding in just the way that they've attacked you and wounded you. You want to get out the spear, get out that word, and stab them back. They've thrown a rock at you. You want to throw the rock back. That's what you want to do. It's as natural as it can be. It's how humans behave in the world. Do not be overcome by evil means this. If you respond in the same nasty way that that person has attacked you, you internalize the evil. When it's done to you, it's outside of yourself. When you do it back, it's now inside of you. You're not in the darkness. Because someone has wounded you or treated you unjustly. You drop into the darkness when you do the same back to them. If you return evil for evil, see, it is in the response where the evil ends up on your hands and in your heart and in your mind. And You think it is the only way. and Maybe you suppose it is the most powerful way to respond. But I have an alternative for you. It's the Jesus way. If I were to challenge you to think of a figure from world history who is known most profoundly for returning evil with good, the person who would come to your mind is Jesus of Nazareth. I guarantee you. Somebody who shows mercy to his persecutors. Somebody who loved people that hated them. Somebody who prayed for those who crucified him. If you can think of somebody in world history who returned good when evil came at them, you would probably think of Jesus of Nazareth. It's his reputation. And if you will do this, if you will do good to those who do evil to you, they will connect you to Jesus. It may be the most certain way to connect yourself to Jesus in all your behaviors to do good to those who hurt you and despitefully use you and persecute you to bless those who curse you. It may be the finest and most powerful way for you to connect yourself to Jesus, your Lord. So I want you to think about how you're going to respond to the person who has wounded you and hurt you. How you are going to respond to the cursing that you've received? What you're going to do. And I want you to plan it out, how you're going to respond with a blessing. You're going to respond with a blessing. See, you're sitting in the pew saying, I want to be a good person, and that's important. I'm not discounting that we want to... Do good. And when we say to our children, I want you to be good now, we're saying to them, we want you to behave in a way that is right and true and loving and kind. That's what we're saying to them. So I want you to be good. But more than that, do good. Okay? Doing good... Doing good is the way, the actively doing good is the way to communicate who you really are, all right? So you set in motion actively doing good. Now, this is the thing. If you're going to actively do good, you've got to know your enemy well enough to know what he needs, what he really needs. Because you want to give your enemy not what you want him to have, but what he really needs. So, know your enemy well enough, love him thoroughly enough that you know what he needs. And then, if he is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. You address the need of your enemy. You speak to that need, you do good at the point of his need. And that's how you overcome evil. Don't be overcome by evil, by participating in the whole cycle of curse for curse and evil for evil and blow by blow destroying your world. Instead, join in this path that Jesus lived and taught us. Learn to do good. Right after, the disciples had the discussion about, is it I? And then the question of, who is the greatest? Jesus begins to speak to them. And he talks about how the one who is greatest is the servant of all. And then he says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift You like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, you strengthen the brothers. Simon, Simon. David, David. Mary. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. You know he has. He wants permission to bring you down, to give you the test. He's asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus, your Savior, intercedes for you. He is your advocate, just as he was with Peter. He says, Simon, I have prayed for you. Oh, that's great news, huh? You want somebody to pray for you? Sometimes people will call the preacher and say, I'd like you to pray for me. All right, I will. I'll pray for you. How about Jesus praying for you? Our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you, Mary, Bill, and George, I have prayed for you. What am I praying? That your faith will not fail because when you return evil for evil, it's because your faith has failed. You stop believing in a good and purposeful God who is sovereign in his creation. When you return evil for evil, your faith has failed in a Christ who went to Calvary for you and died on the cross for you. Your faith has failed when you return evil with evil. I am praying for you, Jesus says, that your faith will not fail. But my faith's already failed. Judas, his faith failed. Peter, his faith failed. He denied the Lord three times. My faith has already failed, God. Jesus knew that. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. And even though there's a road in front of you that I know you will walk and you don't know it yet, I'm telling you this, you're going to turn around. And when you turn back, you strengthen your brother's Simon you're leaving this table and you're gonna deny me at the campfire and you're gonna weep bitterly over it But you're gonna be back and when you come back to this table I want you to think about the brother on your right and on your left I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail and when you turn back you strengthen your brothers and there's somebody here Who's had a journey that you wouldn't wish on anybody? And when you think of yourself, you're thinking, oh, will God ever have me back as a first-class citizen in his church? Will I ever be on the same level as everybody else if I come back into the body? And the Father is saying to you, you come back, and you sit in your chair, and you hold up your chin, and you hold your chin high, and your head high, because you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you as much as anybody at this table, and you are fully my own. His restoration is without repentance. So when you come back, daughter, from this journey you've been on, and son, from this detour you have taken, you sit down at this table again. You let your faith fill up this heart. And you know that beside you, there are people who need to hear the story of your journey. And maybe it's a story of shame, and you're ashamed to tell it. But they put Peter's failure on the very front page so everybody would know what happened to the leader of the band. And when you sit down at the table, don't you be ashamed of your story, it will be strength to the one on your right. And on your left, when you come back, as God knows you will, bow with me, please. Somebody here is on your way back. And you decided to turn. You said, what am I doing in this place that I'm in? And as soon as you said it, evil was present with you. All the arguments came up for why you shouldn't take that step and you shouldn't make that commitment. You'll never live that life and you can't be that person. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's word to you is, just like you are, you come back to the Father's table just like you are. Confessing what you've done and where you've been and knowing that the Father in heaven loves you beyond your imagination And he wants you back not as a second class son of the kingdom, but as a first class citizen of heaven. Lord, I pray for the one here who's still a long ways away. By your Holy Spirit, draw them back now. Let them hear your voice, let them see you standing on the horizon waiting for that turn, the Father knows will come. Lord, I pray we'll come running back to where we belong today, at the Father's table, in the Father's house, encouraging the brothers and sisters on the right and on the left, being the people of faith we started out to be. Lord, grant your faith to us in this moment to hear your voice and to follow it. In Jesus' name I pray.